Hi everybody, welcome to another exciting edition of Creekside Outdoors. As always, uh, I'm Eric Miller, your host, and we got our special guest this week. This week we're going to be talking with Mark Banker, the regional biologist for the Rough Grouse Society, and I believe Mark covers the uh, Atlantic states as well as the Appalachian states, so I'd like to go ahead and say thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mark, and, and welcome to the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. All right. Now, is that correct? You are the regional uh, biologist for the Appalachian states and uh, Mid-Atlantic? Yeah, I would say I would call it the the central or southern Appalachian states. I okay. don't go any further north than Pennsylvania, but I go the whole way to Georgia. Okay. All right. So I'll, why don't you give the listeners a little background on, on yourself, how you got started. Um, obviously, okay. you went to school and all that good stuff. So why don't you just fill them in for those who might not be familiar with you? Yeah. Um, I'm from central Pennsylvania. I grew up in Huntington. Um, I went to Penn State, and I got a degree in wildlife science there, and then I got a master's degree in wildlife science from Virginia Tech. And since then, I've worked for the uh, Fish and Wildlife Service a little bit, and I spent three years in Florida working for the game and fish agency down there, and then uh, started working for the Rough Grouse Society in Michigan in 1998, and then I moved to pennsylvania in 2000 and i've been here ever since okay now have you always your specialty been uh small game were you always you know game species uh yeah i would say since since uh getting out of college my focus has been on game species um, more or less um with the with the state agency you kind of have a broad focus but uh but we definitely like everybody else you know kind of focused on deer and turkeys and and those kinds of okay Good. Now, um, how exactly you started in Michigan, like you said, with the Rough Grouse Society. Did you come on right away as a biologist for them, or did, did you, you know, uh, come in and then work your way up? Um, and then no, I came in through the, the Partners in Conservation program okay. that the Rough Grouse Society did, and we hired five biologists through that program, and I was the first biologist hired, and I started out oh, good. in Michigan. Okay, now for, th- for those listeners who may not be all too familiar with Rough Grouse Society, because... Um, I, I don't want. I hate to use the word specialty um, organization, but their main goal is protecting habitat for for grouse and woodcock, which uh, is nice for other uh, early successional forest species. You know that helps them, you know as well. But for those listeners who aren't familiar with the Rough Grouse Society, could you just maybe touch a little bit on on what the Rough Grouse Society actually does? Sure. You know we're a, a nonprofit, of course, and um, our national headquarters is in Pittsburgh. Okay. And uh, we also have a, a, a branch in Canada. But, you know, our focus has always been on trying to maintain and improve grouse and woodcock habitat. Most of our members are hunters, uh, although I'm sure there's, you know, a few bird watchers and other folks out there who love to watch or listen to grouse and woodcock in the spring when they do their I'll tell you what, I just, those types of things. for me, I don't think there's much better sound than that. But no. <laughs> um, well, now that we, we touched a little bit on, on what they do, let's let's really jump in with both feet and, and talk about um, you know, managing uh, your four grouse and woodcock. Um, you know, both are obviously game species. One's covered with uh, under the Migratory Bird Act, but um, what uh, obviously you manage for both species kind of with the same type of habitat. What, what type of work are, are you guys at the Rough Grouse Society doing, um, you know, for these two birds? Well. Sort of a, a large part of it is advocating uh, forest management okay. practices. Um, 
they're, they're the most efficient way to manage for grouse and woodcock in a heavily forested state like Pennsylvania, and in a lot of the Northeast is the same way, is through a, a commercial timber sale. That That's what's going to get you enough acreage, um, and it's going to pay you to do it. Mm. It's extremely expensive to do non-commercial forestry work, but... But a if you can sell the timber, it goes for you know all kinds of uses that we use every day, and then the resulting forest that grows back whenever you cut those mature trees is exactly what grouse and woodcock and a bunch of other species need. So we we advocate that, and we try and bring the science to the table as much as possible to support that. Now the other thing we do is we provide funding and technical expertise for managing other types of habitats like aspen habitats old field habitat that require someone to go out and use a piece of equipment and and uh, either make that that habitat better or in the case of aspen you need to you need to clear cut it and let those young aspen grow back and that all you know someone has to get paid usually to do that or we hire someone to do it so that's where our funding kind of comes in okay so so basically with these two species you manage the habitat and they're going to kind of follow suit Absolutely. Okay. That's the nice thing about grouse and woodcock. As our only two native small game birds that you can manage for and, and they respond, mm-hmm. um, is that when you do a habitat project, you often find the birds moving in and using it um, very predictably, which is a great, great thing for us and for you know folks who like those birds. Sure, absolutely. So we, we touched a little bit on, on the early successional habitat, and you touched on aspen. Um, you Throughout Pennsylvania, what in your opinion, is is aspen dominated species or, or forest type? Is that where you'll find most of the birds? Are they they using more um, you know different different types of, of habitats? Well, since only one percent of the state is aspen of the forests in the state are aspen, okay. you really can't say that you find grouse um, necessarily in those forests alone. They have to use the oak forest and the you know, the northern hardwood okay. forest that we've so, got here in Pennsylvania. Okay, that's an inter- um, interesting fact. So only 1% of the forests in Pennsylvania are, are true aspen forests? Right, or less, yeah. Okay. If you look at the, at the inventory data. So um, we try to regenerate or regrow, you know, manage aspen anytime we can because it is a quality habitat because it grows back so fast after you cut it that it provides habitat much more rapidly than, say, oak, which grows much more slowly. Mm-hmm. So we love to manage aspen, and it's a short-lived species, so it dies off very quickly, too. And if you don't manage it, then you lose it. So um, aspen still has a lot of, of value, is, and woodcock use it, you know, very much so as well. Okay. Um, so that's, you know, that's what makes it so so valuable. That, that's interesting. At, at what age of an aspen stand do you think it's it's reached its, you know, prime as far as, as uh, you know, grouse and woodcock use, and also as far as, because I, I, from what I understand, it's a valuable pulpwood, or it's at least gaining popularity as a pulpwood. What yeah. age do you think they're they're reaching that, that maximum? Well, uh, it depends on the site, you know, the, the soil characteristics and those types of things, but when, a, when an aspen reaches, you know, about 40 years old, you can go ahead and, and cut it, and you're going to get really good regeneration okay. of the, the, young, the young trees. I wish it were more valuable... Uh, in this part of the country for pulpwood, a few a few companies will use it, but not very many. So okay, so is, is that more of like an uh, upper Midwest type of type of Ab- thing? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. If if aspen became popular as a pulpwood, we'd run out of it. Okay. You know, immediately. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but because they've got so much of it in the lake states, they you know they have the luxury of being able to 
manage it on a rotational basis and have a continuous supply. Okay. So in, in Pennsylvania, would you say then the, the oak, uh, I guess the oak hickory would be the, the predominant um, forest stands that, that you're, you're, you're cutting and, and trying to yeah. regenerate for grouse and woodcock? Yeah, oak, oak hickory, I would say, is probably the dominant, although we have an awful lot of the, of the Appalachian or, or the Allegheny Plateau in Pennsylvania. Okay. It runs up through the, the west-central part of the state and then across the whole northern tier. Okay. And there's going to be a lot of the maples and the cherries, and, and those are actually a little better for us for grouse because they just seem to have a little more diversity as far as food. Uh, in the winter and, and whatnot, and they tend to not be quite as dry okay. as oak hickory forests. Okay. Now, with with grouse, you know, from what I've seen, the the farther uh, north and west you go in the state, you're going to get into better populations. What do you think it is that's suppressing, uh, besides the human population, obviously, uh, you know, in like Berks County and, and counties like that where, you know, in the southeastern part of the state that you're really not seeing the the numbers that you are, you know, say, in, in North Central Lake Potter or Tioga counties? Right. Well, th- there's a huge discrepancy as far as um, how much management is being done in those two areas. There's also, there's also some major breaks. If you drive along, say, Route 78 or the Turnpike, mm-hmm. and you look at the, the wooded mountains and ridges, there's very little management going on. Sure. And then you have these broad valleys that are not grouse habitat for example Mm -hmm. and that they can't cross so they're kind of stuck okay uh, in the bad habitat and that doesn't make for very good conditions it's also that very much the dry oak type of a of a habitat okay not as good as those places up in clinton and clearfield and sure those types of counties okay so when you know i guess a lot of people say blue mountain is kind of the the lower extent of the the grouse range and in the southeastern part of the state. Now, you, you were just involved. I understand you had to leave a little early, but uh, the Rough Grouse Society just did a project up there. Right. Um, now, I, I guess previously they had done a, was it a cut up there, and then they went ahead and planted some thermal cover for the grouse? Right. The um, Game Commission has done a really good job on Game Lands 110 there. Um, uh, they've, they've done quite a bit of cutting, um, commercial timber sales, so there's quite a bit of habitat built up there. And we went in right after the clear cuts, and our, our Reading chapter, the Charles Bechtel chapter, um, planted some spruces, which which is important in the wintertime for thermal cover okay. for the grouse. And then this year, they had another field day where they're going to go in and do the same thing on a newer, uh, an area that's that, that's a little newer as far as when it was cut. Okay. Um, so they've been they've been sort of working with the game commission now for five, six, seven years moving right along with the habitat and it's worked out really well you know it's it, I, I don't like to normally take sides but I, it seems to me that the game commission is always getting a bad rap so to speak a lot of people saying they don't cut enough or they don't do that but if you go to the game lands like 110 for instance and you see everything that the, you know the game commission has done in cooperation with groups you know like the charles bechtel chapter of the rough grouse society it it really it should make sportsmen feel good that their money is is being spent in the right spots, but it seems to me that some people either don't recognize it or or just might much rather complain <laughs> uh, yeah. about it. And it's it's right. really a shame. Like I've I was up there last fall, and uh, you know every time I was up to uh, to one ten, we we had grouse flushes for the dogs. So you know the birds are there, and it's obvious you know the the cuts and, and the habitat improvement projects that they're doing, it, it's paying off. So. I, right. I think, you know, 
the Rough Grouse Society and and the Game Commission don't get enough credit for you know, for projects like that. And hopefully, you know, our listeners can you know will understand that they do do a lot, even though sure. it may not be geared towards deer. Deer do you know definitely benefit from it. So oh, absolutely. When you're managing for grouse, you're managing for deer, and and you know, like anybody else, not every game lands is managed as well or as sure poorly as as others, but. In the case of Game Lands 110 and a lot of others around the state that I've been involved with, they there's some really good stuff going on, and I think it's actually increasing these days. I, I would I would absolutely agree with you. I think it's yeah. a, a definitely a good thing. Yep. So now that we, we touched a little bit on on you know the the aspect that you manage the habitat and the birds are going to follow along, right. um, with with the deer situation in Pennsylvania, obviously it's a hot topic now. Sure. Um, you know the for in my opinion for for too long the deer population has been too high and that negatively affected how well forests can regenerate and that regenerate a uh, regeneration is ultimately what will increase your your grouse and, and woodcock populations which don't have an adverse effect on the regeneration like like the deer do right um i i just wanted you maybe if you could touch a little bit on on you know what the rough grouse uh, society's opinion is of of this and and i understand you know deer hunters want deer just as much as as grouse hunters you know want grouse sure but um you know th- there's there's a, a fine line there and, and i think the game commission's on the right track but you know as a professional biologist so i was wondering if you could maybe give us your your opinion on the situation well you know as you know the the whole deer situation it's all kinds of ripple effect you know ramifications sure. on other wildlife but What's interesting is that, without getting too technical with the data, we've lost about one and a half million acres of of that young forest habitat that, that grouse really like mm-hmm. in the last 50 years, and we're at a 50-year low in that habitat right now. Only 10% of our forests are what you might call grouse habitat, and that same habitat is probably the best habitat for deer. Sure. Now, you, so we've you made lost a, I'm sorry, go ahead, a huge amount of of good deer habitat mm-hmm. and we just flat out can't support as many deer as we used to and a lot of folks don't realize that how much poorer the habitat is now than it was 40 years ago right Ex- exactly we've been headed that way you know slowly o- over time and um and now we've gotten to a situation where we just can't we the habitat just isn't all that great for deer in this state and as as compared to what it was so we really, the rough grouse study has really been pushing for, okay, yeah, we need to reduce the deer herd because um, because we just can't responsibly carry this many deer on our landscape and hope to manage for other other species effectively. But also, we got to be managing the habitat for deer at the same time, or the problem is just going to keep getting worse. Sure, and worse. sure. So, so it's it's kind of a catch twenty two, uh, you know. Sportsmen want you know the the carrying capacity, you know near or if not at you know the cultural level, but it's it's not you know scientifically wise to do that because you're just shooting yourself in the foot, so to speak. Right. You know a, as things progress down the road. So right. Um, so it's yeah it's and, and well, we've uh, and of course we have to fence deer out now to to create that habitat so we're fencing them out of their best habitat at the same time right so it all <laughs> yeah it all snowballs on you exactly yeah. now you i've heard a lot of people touch on you know well the the soil acidity is too high to you know to grow good regeneration which i completely 
to to an extent disagree with because if you go to an exclosure you mentioned the fences and you look inside compared to outside it and it really is night and day um, right. you know i've been the one up in tioga county um in the, the tioga state forest and they didn't treat it with any any soil preparation or any lime or anything like that and you know at the power line there's nothing outside that fence you go in that fence and it's thick with blackberry and young oak and young cherry right. and everything a grouse really you know really needs and yet these people harp that you know there's a there's a, a soil issue with their, their with acid rain i'm sure there is but right. it can affect both sides of the fences or one side or the other so right, um, it's right. it's interesting to to see that but yeah um, no one has really studied it um no one, like you just said, no one would disagree that there's a problem with, with soil acidity. But because of those fences, we know that soil acidity is not what's causing the problem. Exactly. Exactly. Now, they just removed the fence, I believe, up at 110, didn't they? Or, or was it 106? Yeah, in fact, we uh, Rough Grouse Study helped out with that. Okay. Yeah. And with regeneration now that they took the fence down, I, I, that means that it's above the, the level where the deer can adversely affect the the trees growing? Exactly okay. right. Yeah. Okay. And, and have, they haven't have, had to fence their last few cuts because because uh, the densities are good. Population kind of under control. And That's excellent. Habitat there to take care of everything. That is fantastic news. You know, I guess you know, this whole thing is actually you know they they do they do know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's working. At least yeah. in that spot, it is. Absolutely. So. Um, well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit here um, before we run out of time. Uh, a little bit about the grouse and woodcock populations. Um, from my understanding, the woodcock are on the east coast are, are on a you know a slight decline each year. I don't know if it's one or two percent, somewhere around there. Right. Um, the grouse, since they're not migratory, um, you know, and and they're kind of homebodies, we, we basically judge their populations on on nesting success and things like that. Right. Um, if you could just touch a little bit on on the grouse and woodcock situation, um, you know, maybe for for 2005 and maybe what we you know, if we look at what the good spring, what we have to look forward to for, for fall of 2006. Sure. Um, woodcock are, are doing better. The last few years, they've, uh, their population has stabilized. In the last 10 years, finally, between 96 and 2006, population has been pretty stable. And that's, that's fantastic. Because for the 30 years prior to that, it had been, it'd been declining at a, quite a rate. So now we've finally leveled off, and that's good news. Uh, we have better data on woodcock than we do on grouse. Um, grouse populations, uh, we know that they've declined, that they have to have had to because of the habitat loss, but we, we use hunters to tell us what they're seeing out there, and mm -hmm. that's basically how we gauge that. And we're at a, a uh, all-time low as far as flush rates go, um, based on what the, the hunters, the feedback we get from the hunters each year. So that's not good. Mm -hmm. We had some really wet summers, as everyone knows, um, a couple of years ago, back-to-back, -back, and that really knocked the birds down. This past year, we had a much better spring. Birds seemed to make a little jump um, up this past year, and uh, we've had a, we had a great fall for food. Every kind of food you can think of was, was out there in abundance. Then we had a mild winter. Now we're having an early spring. Um, it, it's setting the stage for what could be a, a banner year for Good. South. So, um, so maybe that that grouse population will, will get a good hatch and kind of make the jump that uh, you know that everybody's hoping yep. you know it will. Yep. Now, now, in Pennsylvania, there's not so much the cycle that they talk about in the Upper Midwest, Wisconsin and Michigan. Um, 
is that more of a habitat issue, or is there another reason why Pennsylvania doesn't necessarily uh, see this this proverbial cycle like the Upper Midwest does? Yeah, we're not sure what, even what causes the cycle in the Midwest, but we have much more random fluctuations in the in the population down here, and the population never gets anywhere nearly as high as they do in the Midwest when they're at the peak of the cycle. So we don't really have. You know, we don't really have any mountaintops, mm-hmm. so it's hard to have a cycle when you, you when your population never gets very big. Sure, you know, um, but we don't know we don't know what factors are totally causing it in the Midwest. So it's hard to say what we're lacking that other than sheer numbers of birds that may may make us a little more consistent. Okay, okay. So it's it's just there's there's just something that you know the Midwest has, so to speak, that Pennsylvania doesn't that just doesn't allow us to to witness this this so-called you know, cycle that that they uh, you know, they see up there. Is it is right. it more of a land issue or habitat issue, or is it just that the the logging companies you know are more active up there? Well, it probably has everything to do with aspen. Okay, uh, we're talking aspen dominated landscapes with the buds providing the great food in the winter, and then the young aspen providing the great cover. And our habitat just isn't anywhere nearly that good. Okay, um, so they've just got it made. Sure, yeah, <laughs> and that's and they've got and they get really high densities of grouse at certain times okay so so if, if i understand right the, the woodcock uh, downward trend has actually st- they've actually stabilized uh, here on the east coast that trend has stabilized that yeah. you know and it for our listeners i don't i think you know organizations like the rough grouse society and, and all the state agencies that you know they take the time and and, and do the habitat work and it, it's really starting to pay off um you know i i had contacted you last year um about uh, you know doing some habitat work here on on my farm, and I was just just last week signed the papers for the WIP program. So we got a, you know we finally got our, our funding to, to plant some trees, and we're going to do some alder and and um, do a couple of aspen stands and, and some crab apple and hawthorn. Because um, yeah, I'm the same mentality. Whatever we can do to to help you know the American woodcock, and obviously other people are thinking the same way. If we stop this this downward trend, so that's that's absolutely awesome news for you know for. For the upland bird hunter, I think it really has got to be a you know a pat on the back for the rough grass society too. Well, thanks. There's there's a lot of interest throughout the wildlife field right now in woodcock, and finally folks are waking up and, and realizing what's going on. And uh, I think we'll probably see good things for a while here. Well, that's that is fantastic news. Now, one last thing, and th- this is just a, a personal thing here. I had I had to ask you um, with this rain we had this weekend. Now I went out and uh, into the cut I made last year. And just, just to get an idea of, of my earthworm density, because earthworms are, are the, the preferred food of woodcock, and so I dug a one-foot-by-one-foot-by-one-foot hole, and I only found three earthworms, um, and it got me thinking, is, is there something that a landowner can do to, to attract more or, or increase the population of the earthworms, which will increase, you know, obviously the use of, of woodcock? Are there certain plant species that, that can do this? Uh, anything that you know, you as a professional might be able to, you know, to aid the landowner like myself who's trying to, to improve the population? Well, i got to be honest. Um, we've, we, haven't, we haven't really broken woodcock management down to the level of earthworm management okay. at this point. Um, there seems to be you know, a lot of different soil characteristics that earthworms like and there also seems to be some way you don't find any, mm-hmm. any earthworms and you don't find any woodcock even though the cover seems to be good yeah but i, I really am not 
well versed in okay. what an earthworm likes or doesn't. Yeah, like. I, th- I, th- I, I thought I'd try to pick your brain. <laughs> yeah, rocks and dryness are not good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're they're using it in the fall. We had we had you know four or five flushes back here on the on the edge of the cut. So uh, yeah, we're just going to keep plugging away. But I thought you know, out of my own personal agenda, I'd see if you had any any uh, insight to that. But uh, yeah. before we go, let's let's uh, if you could give the the website for. Uh, Rough Grass Society, so any listeners out there who may be interested in joining or, or making a donation or anything of that nature, they could uh, you know, look it up on the Internet. Sure. It's just you know the usual www.roughgrousesociety.org. Okay. Yep, and the org is kind of the part you need to... Okay, so remember. it's roughgrousesociety.org, yep. and listeners, if they want to join, can go ahead and, and uh, uh, purchase a membership through the webpage? Yep. Okay. All right. Is there any anything you wanted to add, Mark, before uh, before we head out of here? Well, just that you know we have, we appreciate uh, being on the show and talking about these issues because they are important and and I don't, I don't think a lot of folks necessarily connect the deer with the grouse, but they're closely connected and and there's a lot of other species in this state we need to be managing that uh, we have to we have to keep the deer numbers in a reasonable number in order to manage those. So. Sure. For those hunters out there who are a little frustrated with the number of deer they're seeing, hang in there because it's going to allow us to do some good things for other species and deer, and, and I think they'll be happy with the the outcome in the long run. Fantastic. Well, Mark, I think I'd like to have you back um, as a guest again in the near future because I, I really don't think we, you know, but scratch the surface, so to speak, on on this whole issue. Um, you know, I think both grouse and woodcock can benefit from from the private land or as much as they can from you know from the, the state land and uh, maybe next time we can touch a little bit more on on actual management techniques and and uh, you know plannings and cuttings and things of that nature so if, if you'd like I'd, I'd really like to have you back uh, maybe in a couple of weeks and we can uh, maybe dig a little deeper that'd be great let's do it all right well folks I want to thank everybody for tuning in um, I want to thank Mark for joining us and taking the, the time uh, like Mark said, if you want to join the Rough Grouse Society, go ahead and visit their website, which is roughgrousesociety.org. And until then, I'd like to thank everybody for listening, and have a good one. This week's episode has been brought to you by HuntingPA.com, Pennsylvania's premier outdoor website. So for all things hunting and outdoors in Pennsylvania, visit www.huntingpa.com.